As we uh, gather and, and celebrate Christmas um, and, and do many of the, the familiar traditions uh, that we often cling to during the season, one of the things that, that comes to mind is, is just how much what is central to our faith and, and what is central to today can so easily and so quickly become very familiar. Now, familiar is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, familiar is often a good thing. We need routine. We need tradition. We need things like that. It's good for us. Uh, It helps teach us what is good. But I often think that that sometimes what is familiar can grow a tad dull. Sometimes we take what is familiar for granted. So we think about Christmas. We hear the same stories read over and over again. Whether it's Luke chapter 2, John chapter 1, whatever the story may be, it grows a a bit familiar. And when it grows a bit familiar, it can grow a little bit dull. We can lose some of the the wonder of Christmas. We can lose some of the, the joy. We can lose some of that sense of hope that Christmas is intended to bring because it's perhaps at times grown a bit familiar to us. Because when what is central to our faith becomes perhaps too familiar, it can lose a little something, can it? It's sort of like a, a marriage that's, that's lost its romance. I'm sure that, that there's been points in, in every single person here who's been married where you felt that way. Where you felt that your marriage ha, has perhaps grown familiar. And, and perhaps you, you've forgotten the love that, that brought you together. And, and that marriage that once was a sense of joy and elation has kind of become like a, an old shoe. It's something that, that maybe serves a purpose, but it doesn't really excite you very much. And, and I fear that, that from time to time, the event that is for us, not only one of the events at the center of the church here, it's the event that's at the center of all of history. When it's grown a bit too familiar, it loses its luster, it loses its excitement, it loses its wonder, its significance, its joy. And when things that are central become too familiar, some suggest that maybe you just need something new altogether. Some are maybe led to suggest that that marriage that's become too familiar, too boring, the marriage that's lost its romance and excitement, well, maybe it's time to call it quits. Now, you and I both certainly would agree that that's not the case. That we shouldn't just toss aside things that have become familiar, things that have maybe lost a little bit of their excitement. But when things become too familiar, when things grow dull, oftentimes what I think we really need to do is we need to just take a moment to stop, to pause, to to slow down, and just quite simply remember. Remember what it is that makes that familiar thing so great. Remember what it is that makes that familiar thing so significant, so wonderful, Remember what it is that that makes today a cause for unceasing joy. So we need to pause. We need to stop. We need to slow down 
and remember what it is that we cling to today, what it is that we celebrate as we gather. Perhaps that's the best thing that we can do on Christmas is to pause, to slow down and take a moment to remember what's so significant about what's become so familiar. I want to read some words that that perhaps are rather familiar to you. It's from our epistle lesson this morning. Hebrews chapter 1 begins this way. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's perhaps a familiar truth to you if you've grown up in the church. We believe that in the scriptures, in the words that are recorded, the words of Moses in the Torah, the words of the prophets, the words of the psalmist, the words of David, the words recorded throughout all of scripture, we believe, we confess, they are the words and promises, not of man, but of God. It's a familiar truth to us in the church. But let us not pass across that too quickly and forget how significant that is. Because the reality is is that we believe that God spoke when He could have remained silent. When He could have just simply thrown up His hands in disgust over creation. When humanity had chosen to go its own way, to follow its own path, to seek its own will, God did not remain silent. He did not forsake creation, but He spoke. He sent messengers to call His people back to Himself. He sent prophets to be His mouthpiece, to speak His will so that His people would remember what was most significant. So that His people would remember what had grown all too familiar and had perhaps grown a bit too dull. God sent messengers There is grace in the simple fact that God spoke. Because in God speaking, He has revealed that He has not forsaken us. He has not forgotten us. And He longs for us to know Him. He longs to be near to us. He longs to hold us and cling to us as His own children. And because our God so desperately and so deeply longs to be near to us, He didn't simply speak He didn't simply send messengers, but he actually showed up. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Not only did God speak when he could have easily chosen to remain silent, but he drew near when he could have chosen to retreat. We believe that in Jesus, God has done something new, something entirely unprecedented in all of history, something unprecedented in all of Scripture. Because in Jesus, God has not only spoken through messengers, but He showed up. He entered into creation. He has appeared to us by sending His Son, Jesus, into the world to be His Savior. 
our God has not only sent servants or hired hands, but he has actually sent his own son and heir. And this son and heir, we believe, is the one who is at the center, not only of Scripture, not only of the will and the plan of God, but he is the one who is at the center of all of history. He is the one who is at the center of everything that ever is or was or will be. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as excuse me, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is far more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Jesus is far greater, he is far better than anything else in all of creation. He is greater than any messenger the Father has sent. He is greater than any creature in heaven or upon the earth. Because he is not created like all things are. He is eternal with the Father, the exact imprint of his image, the radiance of his glory. He is the one through whom everything has been made, and he is the one in whom everything in all of the universe holds together. And it is this Jesus who is at the center of everything. All of scripture, all of history, all of universe centers on Jesus. Which perhaps should lead us to ask ourselves, is Jesus at the center for me? Is the one who is at the center of all of the universe, the one who holds everything together, is he what is most central for me, for my life, for my family? Is Jesus at the center? And I don't mean just today. I don't mean just are you keeping Christ in Christmas But is he at the center, not just today, but every day? Is he the thing that you long for most deeply? The thing that you pursue most fervently? Is he the one who you trust in above all else? Or is it something else? Is there something else that resides at the center of your life? the center of your purposes, at the center of the hopes and the dreams that you have, is Jesus at the center or is it something else? Is he the thing that you cherish most deeply? The thing that you worship on Christmas and every other day? Or are you worshiping some other idol? You know, in Scripture, there is a, a word that appears over and over and over again. 
It's probably a very familiar one, one that you maybe just kind of glance over and pass by. It's the word behold. And usually what the word behold means is stop, slow down. This, what you're about to read, what you're about to hear, what you're about to see is really, 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 really important. So behold, stop, slow down, pause. Because what is central has come to you. Take a moment as you gather, not only here, but in your homes, with your friends, your family. Take a moment today to behold, to behold what has come to us on Christmas. Take a moment to stop and remember that familiar story that perhaps has grown dull. And as you take a moment to pause, to remember and behold what has come to us, may you be filled with wonder and joy and awe in what God has done. Because in Jesus, our God has not only spoken, he's drawn near. The one who is at the center of all of history and all of the universe has come to be with us. He has come and he has made purification for sins by the blood of the cross. He has come and destroyed hell and death by rising victorious on Easter Sunday. Come and behold this child. Come and behold the one who is at the center of everything. And as you behold him, may you be reminded of this truth. That our God, the creator of all things, has sent his son into the world. Because he longs for you to know him. He longs for you to be near to him. And even though we so frequently fail to hold Christ at the center of all things. The truth that we behold on Christmas is this. That for our God... You are at the center of all things for him. Amen?